Hi, I'm Libby. And I'm Farron. And this is the tip of the iceberg. And today we're going to introduce you to our new podcast. Welcome to the first ever podcast of the tip of the iceberg. Um, this is our first ever podcast, and so we're excited to jump in. My name is Libby Garish. My name's Farron Babbitt. And I think before we get started with this podcast, we should probably tell you who we are, what we're about, how we came to um, to do domestic violence and sexual assault work. Um, so I am the executive director at SAFE Project, and I have been here for six and a half years. Um, I started as the outreach coordinator and spent some time um, being the volunteer coordinator before I was um, given the opportunity to to do my job that I do now. So, um, yeah, I'm super excited about this, and I think it's a great way to reach our community um, and to talk about the work that we do and what goes on with domestic violence and sexual assault. Excellent. Yeah. How about you? You're so impressive. Oh, well, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. My name is Livy. Um, I said that before. Um, I'm the outreach coordinator here at SAFE and I haven't been here as long as Baron. I'm kind of a newbie as far as SAFE project goes. Um, But what I do is I spend a lot of time talking about domestic violence and sexual assault and gender-based violence in general in the community, in our community. And so I love talking about it and I'm excited to talk about it in this new way on a podcast. I feel like we haven't done that before. No. Um, did I miss anything? I don't think so. No? No. Okay, great. So we wanted to, we're going to jump into what this podcast is going to look like, but first off, I wanted to talk a little bit about why we're doing this. Um, we're doing this because... Well, I don't know. I think there are many reasons. Mm-hmm. The first reason is that gender-based violence, especially in the media right now, is such a taboo topic, and it's something that comes up all the time. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people don't really know what that means, you know? Like, a lot of people, when I do presentations and I talk about domestic violence, they're like, oh, yeah, I know what domestic violence is because I saw that one episode of Grey's Anatomy. Yeah. And that's what it looks like to a lot of people. Like, um... It looks like the girl came into the emergency room and she was beaten up by her boyfriend or husband and she gets stitched all up and then she goes back home and people think that's what domestic violence is and really it's so much more complicated than that. Mm -hmm. And so why we're doing this podcast is to give people more information about what this actually looks like. Mm -hmm. And we can talk about what this looks like in our community and nationwide, Mm -hmm. really. Um, and then with sexual assault, same thing, right? right? Like the Me Too movement is really big right now and people are talking a lot about sexual assault, sexual harassment, harassment in the workplace. Um, men and women both are talking about that. And what does that look like? What does sexual assault look like? Um, why don't victims report sexual assaults? What goes on in our community? Um, and that really is... Um, a very complex issue and trauma is complex and Mm -hmm. all of those things um, working together to make it so it's it's not black and white it's very gray and we operate in a constant 
state of gray, right, and limbo as advocates and DVSA professionals. Yeah, absolutely. And even when we're talking about gender-based violence, I think those are the two terms that come up a lot, like domestic violence and sexual assault. Mm -hmm. But even under the umbrella of gender-based violence, like, there's so much more Mm -hmm. than just that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 And, I mean, I think we'd be lying if we didn't talk about another ulterior motive for having this podcast. I think that both of us definitely want to meet the Obamas. (laughs) And this is the first step, yes. I, would, I would think, for yes. me personally. Yes, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so our title, our title is The Tip of the Iceberg. Yeah. Um, so if you do domestic violence work, um, you will often hear about domestic violence as like an iceberg because you can see a small part of it. And you know what some of it looks like, but there's a whole lot under that you don't know goes on, right? That you don't see. Um, And there's a lot of dynamics that you have to break through to understand domestic violence. There's also a lot of dynamics and there's a lot that you don't see when it comes to sexual violence. Um, And so that's what we aim to do with this podcast is to talk about what goes on um, in our own community, in our nation, in our world, as far as gender-based violence goes and kind of break apart what that looks like. Who are perpetrators? Who are survivors? Um, whose lives have been lost to these things? And how does that affect our culture, our world, um, our future, our children's futures? Um, and all of that is the iceberg, the underneath part that we don't see, that we, we don't really break apart unless we do this work, um, and that we don't think about as a community and as normal people on the outside who, who aren't experiencing it. Yeah, absolutely. I think you described that perfectly. I just hear so frequently when I'm out in the community, whether I'm doing presentations for this work or whether I'm talking to friends or family about this, that that people just have no idea, really. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people acknowledge, like, I don't know Mm -hmm. what any of this looks like. Mm -hmm. And I think that's part of, like, the uncomfortability. Mm -hmm. Is that a word? It can be. It is now. It is now. (laughs) The uncomfortability of talking about gender-based violence, and I think that's part of the reason it is so taboo, is because people see this little piece of it, Mm -hmm. and I think somewhere inside they know there's more. Yeah. But they don't know how to to figure out more. And I think it's awkward, too, because... Unless you're us mm-hmm. or me, I don't. I don't want to speak for you. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't want to go up to a stranger and be like, "So, um, sexual assault. Let's get into that. Yeah, let's jump right in. Right. What is consent to you? Right. That gets weird. Yeah. That's a weird conversation, really quick. Yeah. And so I think that's part of the reason people don't talk about it, in yeah. my opinion. Yeah. Yeah, and it affects all of us, right? Because we know that statistically, we all know somebody who has been a victim of domestic violence, sexual assault, gender-based violence. And so it's an important thing to talk about. It's an important thing for men to talk about. It's an important thing to talk to your kids about. And how do you do that? Like, how do we have those conversations? Because I am comfortable talking about sexual assault and domestic violence, but I do this work all day, every day. So how does somebody who has never done this work, how do they broach that subject with their partner or with their friend group or um, with their child? Yeah. You know, it's a heavy thing. And thus you have the tip of the iceberg podcast. Right. So that's we kind of where we're going. Right. Um, what this podcast will look like, we're kind of still in development stages, yeah. so we're still flexible with this. But our idea is that, like Farron was saying, we want to help people 
have conversations about this mm-hmm. and we want to help people learn. Mm-hmm. And so we think part of that will be like topical. Mm-hmm. Like if there's a certain topic that's important in the news right then, we can cover that. But I think a huge piece is going to be case reviews yeah. of people who have experienced gender-based violence and what that looked like, what the process was, and talk about what this looks like in real life. Yeah. How do we apply this? Yeah. Yeah. yeah and I think it's really cool that we have some awesome resources available to have people come and be a part of this podcast and talk mm-hmm. to our listeners about some of this stuff. Because Livy and I do not claim to be the experts in all things gender-based violence. Right. There's a lot about trauma and the, the criminal justice system and things like that that we are not experts on. That we 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 fall to um, to other people's knowledge to, to teach us. And, and we learn from people all the time. And so hopefully some of those folks would be a part of this as well. Yeah. Yeah. So I think our goal at the end of the day in this podcast is to number one, help everyone Mm -hmm. realize maybe the nuances of gender based violence and have resources, Mm -hmm. but also to help people who are doing work in our community understand more. I think a lot of us, whether no matter what we do, whether we are like Farron and I, we work in a domestic violence, sexual assault, gender based violence program. Or if you are an educator, or if you're a mom, or a dad, or another parent, or, I mean, anything you could do, chances are that you're going to encounter someone that has come across these particular challenges. Right. And so, knowledge is power, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. People know that um, domestic violence doesn't just happen to certain kinds of people or in certain socioeconomic groups. Mm-hmm. And um, part of what I really want to to do with this podcast is to, to educate people on what does domestic violence look like and who is it happening to? Absolutely. And how have we as communities, as systems, failed victims, right? Yeah, because I think when we talk about this a lot, we we have a, a picture in our head about who this impacts, right? Yeah. Especially with sexual assault and domestic violence. Mm-hmm. Like, we think it happens to poor people, it happens to minorities, it happens, you know, to this very small subset of people, mm-hmm. when in reality, that's that's not what we see. Right, right. So, like, did you hear about this judge um, in Ohio? So this just came out, what's today, the 20... 20- the 20th. So this this was this is an NPR article that came out today about this ex-judge. Breaking news. Uh, yeah. Um, Lance Mason. He's an Ohio County judge. Um, and he spent nine months in prison for beating his wife in 2014. Um, hmm. And Is that when he stopped being a judge? I think so. Can you be a judge if you're convicted of a crime? I don't I don't know. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I that. wouldn't want my judge to be convicted of a crime. Maybe I would think I would. that you would. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, a, a felony crime like that. Okay, maybe not. Um, so he punched her twenty times, slammed her head against his car's dashboard, and broke a bone in her skull. I think it was her occipital bone, which is around her eye. Hmm. Um, we maybe should have given a trigger warning. Sorry, yes. that got intense. Yeah. <laughs> so right. Um, and he did it in front of their children. No. Yes. How, so I don't know how, how old, old they were. They? No, oh I don't gosh. know. But he served time. He served nine months. Um, her name was Aisha Frazier. And then after he was released, he was hired by the Cleveland mayor's office. Um, I'm not sure w- what his position there was. Um, 
On Saturday, he was arrested again, this time after she was found fatally stabbed in their home in the Shaker Heights suburb of Cleveland with her children nearby. Um, and it sounds like a 911 call came in from his sister um, reporting the crime and said that her, she said that her brother had done this. So was this after the fact? Yes. It sounds like, yeah, like a 911 call. The sister reports the crime, says that he did it. So police come to the house and he is there, attempts to flee in a car, crashed into a police vehicle, and sent an officer to the hospital with serious injuries. Shoot. Yeah, so he's been charged with felonious assault resulting from the crash, but not in her killing yet, probably because they're still investigating it. Um, he was a member of the Ohio Senate from 2007 to 2008 and served as assistant minority whip, and he was also a state representative from 2002 to 2006. Um so he pled guilty in 2015 to this horrible assault, um, and he was sentenced to two years. However, he granted he was granted early release after nine months. Why? I'm guessing good behavior, because as part of the petition for that release, he wrote her an apology. Mm. Um, Do you find that a lot of in like domestic violence trials, a lot of the perpetrators perpetrators plead guilty? So I think it's, I don't know. I mean, I think it's um, a mix. I think that sometimes judges can, or prosecutors can get them to plea. I think other times they go to trial because honestly, I think domestic violence perpetrators are very arrogant. And I think they think that they're smarter than everybody. Mm. And so they can go to a trial and, and get up there and make people believe that they didn't do what they, what they are convicted or I mean, charged with doing this person. It sounds like pled. Um, so the this only reason I ask trial. is because in the last few trials I've been a part of mm-hmm. or been with for domestic violence, they've pled guilty. Yeah. And I mean, I think, I think in those cases there was a lot of evidence right. and a lot of physical injuries. So. Right. I think with domestic violence, it's a lot more likely to see somebody plead guilty than with sexual assault. I agree. Because there's a lot, I mean, the law is the law and you're not allowed to beat your wife according to the yeah, law. but you're not and so, allowed to rape someone. Well, right, but rape is a lot more gray than domestic violence is. When you look at crime scene photos, there's a lot of he said, she said. Mm. With rape, a lot of witnesses, a lot of, like, talking about her character and his character. And with DV, it's kind of like, I mean, he beat her, Do right? And if they did it with the children there to witness it, then you, what is there to yeah, shake yeah. out as a jury, I you know? But I think there's even been sexual assault cases where there were witnesses that people oh, were for like, sure. well, Absolutely. Know. Do you think that's because of people have a different understanding of domestic violence yeah. and sexual assault? Yeah, I it's do. sex, right? Yep. It's like people are like... Yep, and fence. I think that with... I think that everybody can agree that domestic violence and sexual assault are heinous crimes. I think that people's understanding of what those crimes look like are very different. Mm. Um, and I think that people don't take as much about the victim's behavior and what the victim did to instigate, if anything, to instigate a confrontation and how the victim was re- has was was acting and was she drinking and all that. I, think I just think that's that interesting. Not because when I think about this in my head, like if I were talking to somebody, if I had a domestic violence case that I was talking about, it doesn't matter if the victim of domestic violence was being a jerk or Mm -hmm. being a brat or whatever. At the end of the day, like if you break this person's nose, what what do you do to instigate that? Nothing. Nothing. Nothing that you do warrants that. Right. But with sexual assault, it's like, there's a lot of like time old. What were you wearing? Right. 
There's a lot more that people tend to interpret with sexual assault. A lot of things that people pick apart with sexual assault, I think, more so. I think with domestic violence, women are blamed a lot. There's a ton of victim blaming. Mm -hmm. And there's a ton of, like, even if he is guilty... There's a ton of well, why did you let responsibility put on her? Yeah, why did you let him do that? I mean, yeah. yeah. I mean, he might still be guilty and he might still be convicted and even go to prison, but she's still going to face a lot of like scrutiny yeah. about what happened, unfortunately. Yeah. And just as a side note going back, you know, we're talking about how people have this one lens of what Mm-hmm. In this case, domestic violence is, or sexual assault, I guess, and they view the victim as a woman. Right. That's not always what we see. No. No, we see a lot of women who are victims of these things, but we also have worked with men. Yeah. Like, not super irregularly. Yeah. Irregularly. Yes. And men face a lot of barriers in coming forward because yeah. of the fact that they're men, and they're very embarrassed Yeah. to come forward. About being a victim of, of a sexual assault or being a victim of domestic violence. So it's that, hard to believe for a lot I mean, of people. it's very shameful for anybody. Yeah. But especially when you're in a position where you, people think you should be able to defend yourself. Exactly. Right? Yeah. That's what I'm talking about. So this, this, um, it's this article that NPR has says that somebody, um, the county prosecutor in Cuyahoga County, um, in 2015 said that he was a good judge and a friend, but he owes society his time, right. For, for what he had done to his wife in 2014. And, um, this, this prosecutor did not prosecute the case. Um, they probably had a different prosecutor, but said after his sentencing, I'm confident he will leave prison rehabilitated and will again be an asset to our community. Well, I'm glad he didn't prosecute because if he's describing him as a good judge and a friend, well, and so that's probably, I mean, can't, do you think you can be a good judge if you go home and abuse your family? No, I don't. I I don't know. Um, so after they, um, they searched his home in 2014 and found an array of weapons, including 2,500 rounds of ammunition, a bulletproof vest, smoke grenades and semi-automatic rifles and a sword. (laughs) <laughs> so wow well, you know, this guy was preparing I, I for actually understand the apocalypse because a lot of times guns just aren't gonna cut it and so you need a sword you need a sword and grenades you need a sword you're going into you're going into battle here right it really is the sword that the that sword adds that extra level of the safety. sword um and I don't, this, I don't feel safe in my home unless I have a sword no and this attack on her was so brutal that she required facial reconstructive surgery. Oh, my God. So she files for divorce two days after the incident, but the divorce has yet to be finalized still. And so she passes away on Saturday still trying to get divorced from this guy. Oh, um, And he sued her in... Or say she sued him in civil court after she was hurt so badly and awarded $150,000. Um, and his law license was suspended indefinitely. So when you asked if he was still a judge, no. Because he was... His law license was suspended. Um, so he was he was hired by the mayor's office as a minority business development director and fired from that job after his arrest over the weekend. Um, and so was he hired immediately? It sounds like he was hired upon being released from prison. The decision by Mayor Frank Jackson's administration to give him a job after um, his early release from prison on wife-beating charges is an astounding snub, says a journalist for Cleveland. Um, she was a teacher for over 15 years, and she was a sixth-grade teacher mm. at the time she was killed. 
Um, and her principal says she was a kind, loving, compassionate, dedicated, and amazing mother and a wonder, with a wonderful sense of humor. We've lost an angel as well as a phenomenal educator. Um, and they've set up a GoFundMe in, to, in support of her two children. So this is like very much a textbook case of domestic violence, right? Yeah, I think so. Like this is what, when you were talking about like, what do we see? We see a man who is, this is like made for movie domestic violence, mm-hmm, yeah. right? Like a man who is successful. He has a lot of power. He's, I'm sure this wasn't the first time that he had abused her in 2014. I know, right? that's kind of what I was thinking. That I wish was we, I mean, not, not really, but I, I wish we could I mean, have seen a time. Yeah, I don't want to claim out. to know anything about these yeah. people's marriage, but I would be shocked if that was the first. Well, it's not like just one day you wake up and no. you're like, I'm going mean, to smash my wife's that face into in the front car of their dashboard right. and break to where the she needed bone surgery. where her eyeball goes. Right. And so then she immediately files for divorce two days after this happens. And is trying to get divorced from him, sues him. Assuming this is like the last straw. Yeah. This is. This it happened is, in front of her kids. I mean, he could have killed her. That then. actually happens a lot. Yeah, I does. see. Yeah. And that's another way this is kind of textbook is a lot of people, women, mothers in this case, will let it go really far. Mm-hmm. Be, but once the kids are involved, they're like, okay, this is, this is what, this was my breaking point. Mm-hmm. Once the kids. Start seeing it. Start seeing it. And or it becomes like impacting that. them. I mean, I can't imagine the trauma that those kids have. I feel like seen. I just worked with someone last week who was talking about how, like, even though her kids had not seen the domestic violence, it was starting to impact the way they were behaving. Yeah. Because, you know, there's, like, an energy about mm-hmm. that. And they seem, always see more than you think. Mm-hmm. And she said that it would be the death of her. Yeah. If her kids grew up to be either, number one. Right abusive yep or number two abused because of what was happening yeah that's, that's not really hard. fair no no <laughs> to put on her no no and mothers put that on themselves a no. lot no yeah um and but, I think this um this this proves you know people ask me all the time why don't women leave Mm-hmm. Why do they stay why would you stay with a man who hits you if he hit me one time I'd be out I've heard that more times and it's like every, almost every case of domestic violence homicide that you run across has happened after the victim has left. The most dangerous time mm-hmm. for a victim of domestic violence is when she leaves yep. the relationship, period. Full stop. That's it. And mm-hmm. so oftentimes these women know that they're safe or staying. Right. And continuing to be abused, but at least they're alive. Because they know their partners. Right? They They know know them better than anybody. They know what's gonna happen when they leave. Right. And when they take the kids or when they they take money. The money or the car or whatever. Or just get some independence. It's a huge threat. That control's gone. Well, and I think another interesting part of this too is I very frequently hear like, he hits me one time and I'm out. Yep. Me too. I think that is coming from a position of Healthiness. Oh, yeah. You are hopefully mentally well. Yes. You are hopefully feeling okay about yourself, whatever. I think what a lot of people don't see in domestic violence is it's not like all of a sudden everything is perfect and we have a perfect relationship and then physical abuse, bam. Yeah. It so uncommonly goes that way. Yeah. It's like this long process Mm -hmm. sometimes of wearing a person down with emotional abuse Mm -hmm. and neglect in that way Mm -hmm. and so by the time the physical abuse comes it's like yeah well 
I, yeah. I kind of, I deserved this. Yeah, right. Because abusers are so, so, so good at this emotional manipulation piece. Yep. Of tearing a person down. And are there women who are hit one time and leave? Yes. Mm-hmm. Are there women yep. who are hit one time and that's it and I'm out? Screw you. You're a nutcase. I'm gone. Sure. But the vast majority of survivors that I see, that Livy sees here at SAFE, are women who have put up with this stuff for a long time. Mm -hmm. You know, dealt with the emotional abuse for a long time, Um, which a lot of survivors say is worse than the physical, right? Mm -hmm. The emotional is just unbearable. Yeah. I've heard women, I've had women tell me, if he could just hit me, that's all he did. I could live with that. Incredible tension. Yeah. Yeah. It's the constant fear and the the put downs and the threats. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this, I I think also shows is somebody is, is, is a batterer who goes to prison for nine months. What does that do? Because in my opinion, prison really just teaches people how to be better criminals. A lot of times. And so what does it do to just put somebody away for nine months? What kind of protection was offered to her after he was out on early release? Right. He was on parole, I assume. But what what was given to her by the system right. in Ohio yeah. to protect her? Well, what I kind think, of stuff was in place? I think when I we're know. talking about rehabilitation, I think that's hard mm-hmm. because we're not in that field, no. I guess. And I mean, maybe... I can see more closely because my background is in mental health and doing counseling in that way that in order for a person to come out and maybe not reoffend or Mm -hmm. to be rehabilitated, I would see, I would think that a huge amount of counseling would need to be done. Absolutely. A huge amount of mental health treatment. And I guess that's controversial too, is like Mm -hmm. this idea of rehabilitation with offenders because... There's a lot of stuff. A lot of times it's not successful. Right. Right. Because a lot of times it's court ordered. Mm -hmm. And I think batterer intervention is a lot like drug rehabilitation and alcohol rehabilitation. If it's not voluntary. Yeah. Then it's very often not successful. And actually the research backs you up on that. Yeah. That's right. That's really right. And so I have a hard time seeing that nine months Mm -hmm. in a correctional facility, how much of that is counseling or mental health related right probably not that much probably not even if you're going once a week or once every two weeks I still don't feel like that's enough time yeah because you've got to dive it like why why is this behavior acceptable to you right where did this start like did was he raised seeing this exactly like what kind of there's trauma so many have? different pieces right so nine months is a short right amount of time very short amount of time that's not a very long break no for her no and then they have, it sounds like, relatively young children. Um, so there was still that relationship because that's what connected them, right? Like, if they didn't have children, then maybe it would have been much less difficult for her mm-hmm. to have separated herself yeah. from him. Even though still there's those challenges. But when there's kids and there's shared custody and oftentimes abusers, I mean, they're allowed to see their children. The courts allow it. They have visitation. They mm-hmm. have shared custody. Um, so he's going to know where she lives. He's going to know where she is. He's going to have contact information for her. It's a lot harder to separate yourself when you have children. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, I mean, if anything ever demonstrates the iceberg, it's this. Yeah. I mean, this is just, and there's so much we don't know. Exactly. Like we don't know. I mean, 
I, I, I imagine that, I mean, I don't know if she worked with an advocate. I don't know if she worked with a program. There's a lot about their marriage that we have no idea. And that for sure is the, well, and iceberg. Yeah. And in their relationship, there's a lot we don't know, but even the societal things at play, right? Like we mentioned just in this conversation, criminal justice, we talked about mental health. We talked about, um, child welfare. We talked about, so there's so much, Mm -hmm. That it, it isn't like you can just be done or understand a situation like this when you're seeing so little of it. Yeah. I think even people in the situations don't even understand the whole, that they're in a system. Oh, it's so overwhelming. Yeah. It's so overwhelming. And for survivors, people who survive, yeah. right? These things, it's just, I can't imagine Yeah. how crushing it would feel. Just the the amount of agencies that you're going to talk to and resources that are maybe available or not available to you. And, um, so when people talk about why people stay in these relationships, Mm -hmm. you know, if we could guarantee that a person would be able to leave the relationship without being stalked, without being harassed, would be able to, support financially, right, themselves, their children, if they have children, um, without having to, you know, if if he's paying child support, he's going to know where she is. If he's paying alimony, he's going to know where she is, right? Yep. And that she is going to be able to to know for sure that he's not going to contact her, that he's not going to harass her, that if he does, he's going to be held accountable right away. Right. You know, I think every community looks different in how they handle these crimes, how they handle gender-based violence. Um, Systems, state laws are different. Um, It's not all the same. Right. What happens in Wyoming is not what happens in in Ohio. Yeah, absolutely. I think that for a lot of survivors, the reality... I'm trying to think of the name of this play. Or maybe it's a book. I don't know. My mom talks about it all the time. It's like a... Um, basically the idea is that it's some sort of purgatory, like hell like place Mm -hmm. and you're stuck in a room. Mm -hmm. This main character, I guess, is stuck in a room and everything in the room is terrible. Mm -hmm. It's like super hot. It, there's bad smells, whatever. It's Mm -hmm. terrible. Mm -hmm. If anyone has ever seen this play or read this book, (laughs) don't judge me because I haven't. And I'm just going off what my mom said. So (laughs) Don't judge me. You're doing a great job. I'm slaughtering this. But um, the idea is that there's one door and they know that they're in hell or purgatory or whatever. And this person is in this room and everything in there is terrible. Yeah. But they have no idea what's on the outside. Right. And they've learned to deal with this waiting room. They've learned, they've adapted to the heat. Mm -hmm. They know where in the room it smells the worst. They know what's Mm -hmm. going on in there. But on the outside, it could be anything. Yeah. And who's to say it's not worse? It might right. be better, but it might be a lot worse. Yeah. And it's kind of the evil you know versus that's you don't. Yeah. Yeah. That's like... I think that explains domestic violence to a T. Mm-hmm. I think it really does. Yeah. It's... it's there are so many dynamics and so many barriers yeah. and... You know, it it really takes a community. I always say it takes a village to do the work that we do. It takes police and prosecutors and advocates and probation and parole and, you know, engaged community members to really work together to wrap around 
survivors. Absolutely. And hold offenders accountable and protect women, protect their children, protect male victims, educate the community so that juries are educated when we yeah. go into courtrooms. Yeah. These juries know this is this is what domestic violence is. This is what sexual assault is. And so people can be held accountable. Yeah. That's hard. And educating our legislators and our, our politicians on laws and 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 sentencing guidelines and oh, it's yeah. a lot. It's overwhelming for us who do I, the work. I agree. Yeah. And that's why I'm so glad that we're starting to talk about this mm-hmm. because even if one person listens to this podcast and that's one more person that knows more about this. And yeah. It, it does take a community and we want we want a community that stands behind survivors. Yep. That's what we want. Because you have to. Yep. Yeah. And so if you liked hearing about any of this or you're interested in maybe some of the societal pieces or what uh, what life is like for a survivor of gender-based violence or you're interested in helping Farron and I meet the Obamas... Whatever it is that brings you here, (laughs) you know, keep listening, Um, subscribe, do whatever you need to do to not miss a podcast because hopefully we'll be sharing some interesting things. Yeah. 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 Cool. Goodbye. (laughs)